Hi, folks. Welcome to the Tim Harvey Show here on SciFiForMe.com. We are broadcasting this live on Twitch as we speak. And if you are not able to watch it live on Twitch, you can catch it every Saturday. We release the podcast version of the show, which is this without the visuals. So if you think I have a face for radio, you have the opportunity to embrace that fact on Saturdays. Um, last week on this show, I went into a bit of a rant about... Harry Knowles and some of the unfortunate sexual harassment claims coming out of the con world. Unfortunately, as much as I did not want to go into the subject again so soon, today news broke about Harvey Weinstein uh, basically having a 30-year history of sexual harassment against his staff and actresses and uh, a lot of women in, in, the, in the industry. Um, He's suing the New York Times for publishing this report, so we're not going to get into too much of what he said because we're not that big and I don't really feel like getting sued, although he can come for my money. I don't have any. Um, but um, there's, a, there's a really, there, there is a connection here. Weinstein produced over three, almost 400 films and television shows, and he's been really, really involved in producing in Hollywood and, and TV and, and in film. And a lot of that stuff has been genre pictures. And genre, genre film actresses, one of the places that we have seen some really incredibly strong female roles has coming up uh, of the genre world, a little editorial comment from the cat, um, the genre world has had really strong women for a really long time. And certainly it has had its share of women who have been underwritten or written poorly, but you cannot argue the fact that some of the best, most iconic female characters that we all know of strong women have come out of genre pictures. Whether that's been horror or science fiction, we'll talk a little bit more about some of those in a minute. Um, but there's also been a really, really complicated relationship between studios and creators, uh, directors and writers, and the Hollywood casting couch, while a cliche, existed at a time, and it doesn't, you know it hasn't gone away, right? I mean, this is a terrible, terrible thing. There was a time when Hollywood basically shaped all of its actors into the mold that they wanted them to be. And Rita Hayworth, an amazing, wonderful, beautiful, beautiful woman, very, very Hispanic, and you would never know because they basically completely changed the way she looked. Um, they, they took these, and they basically made them into these things that could be replaced. They were cogs in a machine. And while the studio system, where the studios basically owned the actors, um, and if you thought it's not an exaggeration, there's plenty of books on the subject, or you can more than welcome to it's a fascinating story. You should definitely check it out and look into it. But the reality is, is that it the world moved on and things got better, but it didn't always get better the way we wanted it to. Um, Alfred Hitchcock basically destroyed Tippi Hedren, making the birds. Um, Roman Polanski, who made you know Chinatown and Rosemary's Baby, and these are incredible movies. Yet he has a unfortunate you know interaction with, with underage girls and, you know, rape allegations uh, and, and admissions. Um, Woody Allen, of course, not, not, obviously not a, a, genre, um, a genre creator, but it's a, you, know, it, you end up with these people who are incredibly talented but interact with women or, or uh, you know, underage people in a lot of these cases in a terrible, terrible way. I mean, it's so... You, this is not something new, but it's really, it's just part of a bigger problem that I talked about last week, and that is we have to figure out a way 
none of this is acceptable. And Weinstein has said that he's sorry, and that it's a, you know, he's, he's doing his best, and he's going to make it better and all these things. But the damage has been done for a lot of these people. People have been pushed out of the industry. People have, have given up on acting careers or producing careers or writing careers because of the way they were treated in the industry. And it's not, obviously, not, this is not a bash Hollywood minute. This is a, this is, you know, it, we see this all over the place. Uh, people in positions of power who abuse it. And we've got to get it to stop. And I don't, you know, there, like I said last week, there's no easy solution. There's no do this and it's done. We just all have to do our best to do better and, you know, talk out about this. I mean, the fact that, you know, we've had, you know, 30 years went by. People are finally talking and speaking up about this, you know. Um, and it's tough. I mean, what do you do? You know, can you still like Chinatown, even though Roman Polanski, you know, uh, fled the country because he raped a girl? Um, can you still like Bill Cosby's comedy? Uh, no, uh, not allegedly for Roman Polanski. Polanski admitted it. Um, but, you know, the, the weight of evidence against Bill Cosby is huge. It doesn't mean he's guilty. I mean, I'm, I think he's guilty, but that, I'm not a court, right? But does that mean because I can't stand what he's become or what he seems to have been for a long time, I can't enjoy his comedy? It's a tough, tough thing, the creator versus the creation. It's a real challenge sometimes. And unfortunately, some of the people who have given us really strong female characters aren't helping. Uh, James Cameron, I don't know if you've caught this over the last several, last few weeks, um, has been bashing on Wonder Woman. Of all things, this, this, <laughs> this film, which got great reviews, made huge amounts of money, really, you know, uh, Gal Gadot really catapulted to a giant star through this. Um, you know, the, the, big, the big question was, are we going to get our, our female director, the woman who spearheaded this film, back for the second one? I mean, this was, a, this was drama for a lot of people, and I think rightfully so. And here's Cameron, you know, saying, well, you know, she's a girl running around in a skirt, and, you know, she's got this bathing suit on, and what about, what about, you know... What about Terminator? What about Linda Hamilton? Well, nothing wrong with Linda Hamilton. Linda Hamilton is an amazing, um, strong female character, genre character again, um, who really defined what it meant to be a strong, strong-willed, powerful woman in fiction for a long time. Um, and there's nothing wrong with that. Should we, but it doesn't diminish, Wonder Woman doesn't diminish, huh, cat? Doesn't diminish the impact of, uh, of, of Linda Hamilton in the Terminator films. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't diminish the impact and power of Sigourney Weaver in the Alien movies. You know, it sounds a little bit like Cameron's like, you're not, you know, you're not appreciating us enough. Well, yeah, we do. Um, but it, it's a different time and it's a different thing. And superhero films, we've talked about this before, you know, the, Hollywood's had this weird idea about women-led superhero films for a long time. And you know, you can blame it, um, and it's not fair blame, but, you know, for the longest time, Hollywood didn't want to make a, a female-led superhero film because Helen Slater's Supergirl didn't do well. In, what was that, 80? Something like that? 1988? 84. 80, yeah, it was early 80s. Okay, guys, you know, this is why we couldn't have, this, this is why we couldn't have a Black Widow movie. You know, that was the argument. This was, well, we can't, you know, yeah, Scarlett Johansson's awesome and all, but... I don't know, you know, Supergirl was kind of proved that people don't want to watch films. It's like half, you know, the majority of the audience, the majority of the audience that watches the Avengers films have never seen that film. And they, you know, they didn't even know that Helen Slater was in a Supergirl movie. They didn't even know who Helen Slater was or is. And that's unfortunate because she actually, she's not to blame for Supergirl's failing. She did fine. Um, 
but of course, you know, Catwoman, Holly Berry's Catwoman didn't help. But you know, it's it's been a real struggle, and the idea that somehow, um, you know, strong women are not in a premium, you know, or shouldn't shouldn't be something that we celebrate, or all strong women shouldn't be something we celebrate in genre, you know, the excitement people had when it was announced that Jamie Lee Curtis is coming back to the Halloween films. People got excited about this, and there's a good reason for that. Because Jamie Lee Curtis is an amazing actress, but also because she helped define the Scream Queen. She helped define the final girl. You know, these are things that are, are part of horror, genre, you know, the, the structure of how these stories are told. So, you know, there's a reason to be excited about this. And yet, at the same time, you know, when the uh, Star Wars Force Awakens came out, people threw a fit because the, the lead was going to be a, a girl. There's going to be a female lead and a black stormtrooper. You know, but that's the internet. Where we keep our anger in porn. Um, and, you know, of course we're broadcasting this on the internet, so. We, there's a few good things. We're okay. We're, we're, not that, we're not that bad here. So, you know, it's... I, I don't want to do this every week. Hopefully they won't get... Nobody's going to do something. No one's going to publicly come out and admit how awful they are next week. Um, I, I suspect, however... Uh, I may be asking for too much, so hopefully you won't turn this into a weekly rant. Um, but it was just, it was really bothering me today that all this sort of stuff just sort of fit in together. And I've been meaning to talk about the Cameron thing for a while because, you know, James Cameron has been, you know, he's had his hits and misses, but he's overall an incredible, in, you know, had incredible influence on, on genre fiction in, in the film world. And he has definitely given us some strong female leads, and he should be celebrated for that. But that doesn't diminish, you know, Wonder Woman does not diminish. Linda Hamilton's legacy. It just doesn't. So, um, now that we've had that little grim little uh, rant, uh, little, little palate cleanser for you. For those of you who are worried about what next year will bring, 2018, of course, is an election year. Um, and uh, the country being what it is, a lot of people are nervous and anxious. But there's a reason to not worry. Because, according to a Wyoming man, uh, next year, the aliens invade. And we know this because when the police arrested him for public intoxication, he informed them that he had come back from the year 2048 to warn us that the aliens were going to invade. Uh, Bryant Johnson uh, informed the Casper police of this um, and that the aliens filled his body with alcohol so they could send him back in time. They arrested him anyway. So I think he watched too many episodes of 12 Monkeys, perhaps. All right. But waving my coffee cup around for those of you who can't see what I'm doing. And my aunt, my aunt watched uh, last week's episode. I don't know if she's watching this week or not. Um, but uh, she pointed out that I, I swung my coffee cup around a lot and didn't drink from it. And uh, apparently this is a family trait I was not aware of. But she said she's, you know, other members of the family do the same thing. They get up talking and coffee cups get waved. There we go. All right. Um, we talked, oh, Jason, the clock isn't running. <laughs> You'll have to cue me when we get closer. Um, we talked, uh, early on when I first, when the very first episode of this show and I talked about what it is that I wanted to do with it, one of the things I talked about was I wanted to sort of bring back some, some almost old fashioned radio style programming, um, doing live script readings on the show because there's genre, we have a fantastic uh, film and theater community in Kansas City where we record this show. And 
um, I know a lot of really amazing writers. And so what we thought it would be really, really cool is to go ahead and get some horror and science fiction scripts and do some readings and maybe bring in some people, go a little wider on the camera so it's not just me, and, and get some stuff in here to give you guys a, a taste of it. At the end of this month, the 27th, I believe, um, right before Halloween, there is a script reading. It's a bunch of, of, of playwrights who have gotten together to write 10-minute horror scripts. And Curtis Smith, who uh, uh, gets with Dustin Adair and I on the Zompocalypse Now podcast, uh, he was just back after a, a hiatus. He was back with us this last, Saturday, uh, last Sunday. And he's involved. He's got a script in that. And while we can't use any of those scripts until after they do the show, we're talking about potentially recording the show and then maybe having a segment during this podcast and this, this broadcast that you would actually, we'd actually be able to give you a clip of that and show, give you maybe a script a week or something and maybe, maybe do an expanded episode where we, we focus just on that. Because there's some really cool stuff uh, potentially there, and, and a, Curtis got really excited about it. And I'd love to be able to build this to the point where we actually had a longer a show that that was all just the show was. is because Jason and I and the rest of the Sci-Fi For Me staff have talked about a long time, for several years now, the idea of having a, you know, original programming, old-style radio show, full production, the whole kind of, thing, the whole, you know, environment that you build. And you get some of that from modern podcasts. But it's something that we've wanted to do for a long time. Because there's a lot of us here who are fans of that old, the old radio shows. And the, that continued up until, what, I want to say the end of the 70s. You still saw, saw a lot of that. It was by the 80s. Uh, video killed the radio star. Video also killed the radio show. And, you know, and I think the first time it registered that this stuff was still going on was when they had the Star Wars audio, um, the full cast performance, which was, I think, six or eight hours. I mean, it was a long program. It expanded on quite a bit. There was actually a lot more. There was a lot of the original script that made it into the audio production that didn't make it into the film. Uh, they had some of the original cast with that, but it was a full production, so they had special effects and the music and, and all of that stuff. And uh, some of the voice work was really amazing. And that was something that, that engaged me a lot when I was a kid, but I also had a, a dad who, you know, got me listening to things like uh, the original Lights Out and um, Inner Sanctum and all these different programs. The Lone Ranger, of course, was on radio for a very long time. Um, Lots of different radio shows. There's a lot of comedy and a lot of horror and, and even some science fiction. Uh, a lot of mystery. A uh, huge fan of The Shadow for that very reason because of the old radio shows. Those got me into reading the novels and got me reading to reading the, uh, oh gosh, 1980s, early 80s, late 70s, early 80s, um, the DC comic adaptations or uh, Shadow comics. Um, I know I've got mixed feelings, by the way, about the Dynamite Shadow series. Uh, I've mentioned before I wasn't entirely thrilled with the Batman Shadow series. Um, there's a sequel out now that just started. Uh, still not entirely thrilled, but you know, at least they're doing it. So something like that, have it being for us to be able to do something like that is actually really cool, and hopefully that'll be a stepping stone to us doing more of that. I think you'll really enjoy it. I sincerely hope so. Uh, but we'll have more information about that as we get closer. We're, we're in the pro early early discussion now, but even if we can't do the the whole, um, get all the, all the playwrights involved from that. Uh, I know Curtis definitely was excited about doing something like that. I've had several members, uh, our friend Maya, who, who's on several of our podcasts here and, and writes, for the show, writes for the site, um, was really excited about doing script reading. So we'll have more of that as it comes up. 
Um, so, a couple of things that are coming up. Um, Blade Runner opens this week. Reviews are, early reviews are very, very positive. Um, that is, we talked a little bit about uh, remakes and reboots, sequels that go wrong. This is from all accounts. This really recreates the world, gets us into uh, an exciting uh, uh, continu continuation of the story. Everybody's really excited about that, which is great. Um, on the other hand, a lot of mixed feelings still for a lot of people, even though the reviews were strong in the initial episodes of the new Star Trek series. So Star Trek Discovery, as of this most recent episode, is behind the CBS All Access paywall. Well, I get a lot of my program. I get, I get a lot of overseas programming, um, which is great for stuff like the BBC. I get a chance to watch some of this stuff that doesn't air in the U.S. for sometimes months later. So outside the U.S., um, Discovery is being broadcast on Netflix. And so you have the opportunity, uh, if you are outside the U.S., to catch this and not be behind the CBS paywall. So the, I had cautious optimism about the first two episodes. I saw there was real potential there. I thought it was interesting storytelling that had room to tell some very, very intriguing Tales of the, the days before, supposedly, before Kirk and, and Spock took over the Enterprise. Um, so I've watched the third episode. And I don't want to get too much into spoilers here, obviously, because if, you, you know, if you're not watching the CB, not beyond the paywall, and you're waiting until it comes out on DVD or streaming or whatever it is, um, you, you know, I don't want to spoil it for you. I will say this. About half of the episode I thought was really well done. And a lot of that was character development, um, dealing with you know, the aftermath of being stripped of rank, uh, which and this is stuff that's in the preview, so I'm not giving anything away, or too much away anyway. You know, Michael is stripped of rank, she ends up on the Discovery, uh, you're introduced to, to Captain Lorca. I will say that while I thought that there were echoes of some of the flawed captains and commodores of the original series in Michael, Captain Lorca is that and more. I think more, you know, I think Michael had hints of it. Lorca is, I'm watching this and going, yeah, so when he goes off the deep end, uh, because he's that kind of, he's a kind of charismatic leader who gets things done and also breaks things. So it should be very interesting to see what they do. I will say that there's a, there's a development, there's some explanations. Um, one of the underlying themes of the show, uh, aside from dealing with a war footing, uh, interactions with the Klingons in ways we haven't seen them before, all this different stuff, there's something else in there that's both about the war and about exploration that is revealed. And again, I'm gonna try and tread lightly here for, for spoiler sake, but there is, what they what they do, I'm so they do a thing. <laughs> it's like I want to tell you what it is. So they do something that you see in prequels a lot of times. Is that they set something up that you know in the thing that they're the prequel to. It, that thing isn't there. Okay, so they're de they they establish something. We're we're going to do this thing, and you're like, well, wait a minute. There's no evidence that that thing got done in the show this is the prequel to, or the movie this is the prequel to. And that really becomes an issue um, 
that can really hamper your storytelling. And that concerns me. Because for the promise of the show and the things that it could do and, make, and the interesting storytelling it could have, it's the problem with writing a prequel. You are, you are limited with what you can do because you have to end, you know the point you have to end up at. You have to, you know, the original, the original Star Trek and a lot of these other shows, and again, this, we've talked about this before too, it ran up through, uh, through the 80s and early 90s really, um, where episodes were, every episode had a reset button. You get to the end of the episode and status quo was, was resumed, and then the next episode you had an old little con self-contained story. And you wouldn't get the expanded worlds, the, the season-long arcs, until Murder One, um, Farscape, uh, uh, 24, a lot of these shows that basically were telling these long-form story, stories over the course of a season or, par or partial season. You wouldn't get that. You, everything was a reset button. And the problem with the prequel is that you get to the end of it and there's a reset button. You know, and in a lot of cases, nobody was asking for the prequel. Um, one of the biggest problems we have with Gotham, or I have with Gotham, even though now we apparently have baby Batman, um, or Batman Light, or, or Kid Batman, or something, uh, starting off this season, is that nobody was asking for the origin story of Gotham City's underground, uh, underworld. We, nobody was asking for that. The comics have been providing that for decades. Nobody needed this. We didn't know, we didn't need Batman as a teenager. Uh, but, you know, that's not what we got. We got a crazy show that I gave up in on the first season because I, was, I couldn't deal with it. Uh, and that's the problem with the problem with the Star Trek people is while there's some interesting stories to be told that were referred to in the series, um, you can go back and tell those stories anew. That's great, but you still end up at a certain point, and there's that everything's got to get to that point and then stop. Now, you could continue, you know, it would be easier. I don't know if, see, better, the better is a, is a subjective thing, okay? I would much rather have a show that, was, that ran at the same time as the original series, or was in the far future of the original series. The next generation succeeded because it leapt ahead. It, you know, you didn't have to worry. You could, have, you could have cameos from old actors in even older old age makeup. And, you know, you could have that sense of continuity there, but you weren't constrained by having to reach a certain point. So when you introduce something like they did in this third episode of, of Discovery that isn't in the original series, and if it was in the original series, it would have changed a lot of the original series. It's not there. So it becomes a real challenge. You know that they're either they're doomed to fail or there's something else we're not seeing. And so you, you just, you kind of have to wonder where we're going, they're going with this. Doesn't make it bad. I just have some serious questions about it. I'm not hating the show. Uh, I still find it very interesting. Um, there's some real promise, but it also works much, much better if you just don't think of it as a prequel. You don't think of it, don't, don't even think about the Enterprise being out there under, under Captain Pike. Don't think about that at all. Don't think about it ending up, you know, connecting to the main show at all. And just enjoy it for what it is on its own. Because otherwise you're going to run into, you're going to beat your head up against the walls of canon. And that is a dangerous thing to do. Uh, again, prequels, you know. Did, did Lucas teach us nothing? You know, nobody needed to know how Darth Vader was like as a teenager. No one needed that. So, anyway, um, it's, still, it's still got a lot of promise. 
Um, if you guys want me to do this, I mean, I'm more than happy to, to keep you guys up to speed, more or less, with Star Trek, since I can watch it. Um, but, you know, I'm more than happy to give you guys a little bit of uh, catch you up every week. But, you know, I'm also more than happy to not to. So, we, we have a show for that. Triple Bites. Uh, on, this, on this very network. SciFiForMe.com. Um, you can find Trillerites, and we, it's a whole show dedicated to Star Trek. So, um, I definitely encourage you to tune into that, and all of our other shows, for that matter. So, um, we have a few minutes left here on the show, and I do want to talk about the holiday. And the holiday, of course, is Halloween. The best holiday. Or, well, okay, for some people, the best holiday. The, when adults are allowed to run around in costumes and pretend they're small children... When children are allowed to run around in costumes and get candy, um, I believe there's, there's some alcohol involved for a lot of people, but most of all, there are horror films. Now, if you are a horror film fan, of course, you're watching horror films throughout the year. But if you are new to horror films or not sure how you feel about horror films or tend to decide that, you yeah, know, horror films aren't your thing, but Halloween, yeah, you like to be scared. Whatever the reasons. Um, I do want to take probably every episode this month we're going to give you guys a few horror films to go out and get. Some of them are going to be, obviously, ones you know, and probably a few are going to be ones you don't. Um, and I think that uh, for all the great horror films that are out there, there are a lot of really popular horror films that are terrible. <laughs> or at least, I don't like them. So, your mileage may vary. And quite frankly, I would love to hear, excuse me, I would love to hear what your favorite horror films are. What film scared the hell out of you? What film do you love to watch around Halloween? Uh, or any other time of the year, but especially around Halloween. What, is, what, are those, what are those films that grab you and make your skin crawl or jump? Um, you know. And if you're not scared by horror films, like I'm not scared by horror films, I love horror films, but they don't frighten me anymore. My, my fear of the boogeyman or the monsters... Um, left me a long time ago. I, I've been afraid, more afraid of the real world fears for a long time. I probably, you know, I think, I know, I'm, I'm a father, so my daughter turned 27. My daughter turned 27 at the beginning of this month. <clears throat> That's right, I'm old. Anyway, um, you know, so once, once you have a kid, a lot of your concerns about the boogeyman or the, the vampires or the werewolves, it's like, okay, whatever. <laughs> I can take those on. Those are easy. It's the real world monsters that worry me. So, but even before that, I, I've, I've more than once said that the last film that scared me was Halloween, the original Carpenter Halloween. Because it's a scary movie. Um, but I was a kid. I was, in my, I was in my teens when I saw that. So it really is something that I enjoy them more for the scare factor, for the jump factor, but it's not, uh, and the creepy factor. I like to be creeped out for horror films. I don't, I'm not a big jump scare person. Jump scares, jump scares are very effective. And jump scares have their place. But a lot of these PG-13, here's the, here's the grumpy old man on the porch thing. Um, the, a, lot of these, a lot of these PG-13 horror films, you crazy kids, um, they're all jump scares. There's no plot. There's no character development. There's no depth to them. And there's a place for that. Don't, don't, don't think that you can't enjoy those films. The Friday the 13th films are the equivalent of that, the R-rated equivalent of that. They're, you know, they're the cotton candy of horror films. There's nothing wrong with that. 
enjoy them. They're, they're there to have fun. But I think, unfortunately, there's this whole trend because they recognize that teenagers are a great market and we view... <laughs> the era of sneaking into the movie theater to watch the rated R film when you were a teenager seems to be behind us, even though I don't know why. Um, but there's a whole market, obviously, for teenagers. And, and so the PG-13 horror films, they get more people into the seats. It's an economic thing. They know that the rated R films do smaller box office. Um, and then they do Deadpool, which proves that a rated R superhero film can do just fine. Thank you very much. Um, but anyway, um, I'm going to throw out a couple of films here tonight uh, and, and pimp them out to you to, to go, go watch these films this week. Um, build up, you know, if you haven't seen these films, you should. Um, and I think that um, my biases, my, the films that I enjoy, the films that I don't like are going to play into this. Um, so again, if you have films that you like, or disagree with me for that matter, um, you know, feel free to let me know. You can, you can do it here live on, on our chat room, which no one is in, as far as I can tell. Um, <laughs> nobody wants to talk to me. Um, or you can, you know, obviously give us a comment, send us an email. There's all sorts of ways to contact us here at scififorme.com. Uh, all right, so the first film I think you need to go take a look at um, is Fright Night. The 1985 version, not the version that came out, God, the Anton Yelchin version, which has its, the two, what, four or five years ago, I think now? Um, it has its entertainment value, um, but it's nowhere near as darkly funny as the 85 Fright Night, which had Chris Sarandon and Roddy McDowell, um, William Ragsdale, and Amanda Bierce. And basically, the premise of, the, of it is that... Uh, teenage boy discovers that um, his next-door neighbor, brand-new neighbor, just moved in, is a vampire. And things go wrong from there. It is funny and dark and twisted. It is... got some great special effects for the time that have actually aged pretty well. Some of them are a little clunky uh, these days. But the pacing of the film, the comedy, the, the level of violence, level of gore, it's a genuinely entertaining, you know, Friday night, Saturday night, sit there with a big bowl of popcorn, uh, grab a couple of friends. Uh, it's a fun horror film with some genuine, some genuine jumpy moments. But it's just a, it's just a well-performed, uh, well uh, well-paced film. It's a lot of fun. Um, if you ever wanted to see Roddy McDowell almost be an action hero, um, but not quite pull that off at all, uh, that's a good film. And, of course, Chris Sarandon... Um, uh, was very much a sex symbol at the time, for those of you who are, are familiar with more of his later work. But uh, it really, it's just, it's just a lot of fun. Um, and the other one is also of a similar time period. And some of this, a lot of this stuff is going to come out of the 80s and 90s, because that was my, my big period for horror, just so you know. American Werewolf in London, which I... God, they're threatening us with a remake? Okay, no. Stop. There was a sequel. Did you know there was a sequel to the American Werewolf in London? You didn't? Well, that's okay. It was terrible. Uh, it was called An American Werewolf in Paris, and it was not a good film. Um, which is unfortunate, because all kinds of fun could be had with, a, with an American Werewolf-style movie in Paris. But it should have been a standalone thing on its own and not even tried to be a sequel, because it's not even really a sequel. The original American Werewolf in London, the only American Werewolf in London, God willing, um, I, it's... okay. I have strong feelings on remakes. We'll talk about that another time. What the pros and cons of why a remake should even happen. But in any event, <clears throat> uh, David Knott and Griffin Dunn um, are 
two characters doing the Americans hitchhiking across uh, Europe. They're, they're in the UK. I had the opportunity to be an American in a backpack in London uh, when I was 30. Um, there were no werewolves, but uh, still had a good time. Um, it is John Landis directed it. Um, John Landis, of course, had a, a pretty sizable footprint in the genre, uh, genre world with a lot of his films. And it is another film where the pacing and the tension, uh, the gore, the violence is all beautifully balanced. Uh, fantastic timing on, on the comedy uh, alone. Griffin Dunn is wickedly funny. For those of you who know that Griffin Dunn is uh, more from his behind-the-camera work, um, he was really, really funny in this film. And it's very dark and disturbing. It's a genuinely creepy movie, full of lots of great action and comedy. But um, Rick Baker, the great effects man, uh, did some really startling work in terms of the werewolf transformation uh, effects done in that film. Highly recommend that film. It's one of the better werewolf films. And werewolf films are tough. There are not that many great werewolf films. Um, for some reason, when it comes to telling werewolf stories, filmmakers have real trouble. And American Werewolf in Paris, uh, London uh, got it right. And um, if you come across a copy of American Werewolf in Paris in the dollar bin, leave it, walk away. Go find another film because it's not worth your time. All right, um, so uh, go, grab, go grab those films. And again, tell me which, what films scare you. We'll talk about more horror films as we go through the rest of the month. Um, and I'll probably spend a little time on telling you what horror films to avoid. And some of those will probably not be answers that you like. Um, I have very distinct feelings on certain of the big horror films in the world. Um, ooh, hey. Uh, so, coming, stuff coming up on, on our programming here, Monday night, uh, 9 p.m. Central, uh, is D8 Night, Tomb of Annihilation. The third episode is coming up. Uh, it's a live Dungeons & Dragons gameplay. So you should check that out as well. And thank you guys for listening uh, to me here on The Tim Harvey Show. We'll be back next week with more. Uh, you can find all of us on so all this stuff on social media. And uh, thanks for listening, folks. We'll see you next week. This has been a presentation of Sci-Fi for Me Radio. Copyright 2017 by Flaming Dog Media, LLC. All rights reserved. No portion of this program may be retransmitted without the express written consent of Flaming Dog Media. This is Sci-Fi for Me Radio. 